0: Thank you so much for joining us today on the View from the Front podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a nice guy who's working as hard as I can to unite this country. This show is mostly about military and defense news, and I'll explain in a moment why I think it's important we stay informed on this topic. But the show also includes plenty of motivation, which I hope inspires you and helps you in your daily journey toward your goals. You know, just one small positive thought in the morning can change your whole day. And we all know that opportunities don't happen, you create them. So I want to make sure I do my best to feed you mentally. As you've probably heard, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. That was said by the great Zig Ziglar. And I may not be the great Zig Ziglar, but my friends say I'm pretty motivating. Or at least my mom does. But this show is about more than just trying to help you as you confront whatever struggles you're dealing with. The show is about a bigger issue confronting us, and that's the great division that we face in America. A house divided cannot stand, and I will not remain silent while politicians and media personalities throw gas on a dangerous fire. These hotheads and extremists are simply seeking their own personal gain, and with every waking moment of their day, they're doing their best to tear this country apart. And they're doing it so that they can advance to a higher office or so that they can get more followers and advertising dollars. These hotheads and extremists are a danger to our country, a serious one, but I don't think they speak for most Americans. Most Americans are good people who would help you in a heartbeat. I've been helped out in the country, and I've also been helped in major cities. My friends, most Americans are good, and I think you need to hear this said out loud on a regular basis. Let's not let the loud, angry politicians and media personalities darken our hearts. And let's also not let them rip apart this country that we all love. I fully understand how frustrated most Americans feel at how divided we are, and it's time for a better way. That's why I'm doing this. I couldn't find a podcast designed for people who love their country, and for people who are tired of their news being over the top and scary, so I decided to create one. This is a show designed for people who are also tired of hysterical, over-the-top politicians and media pundits who manipulate and take advantage of an under-informed public. It's a show for average citizens who I know are too busy to really study all of the issues that confront us. I'll do my absolute best to explain things as simply as I can. I feel I need to say just a little bit about why I'm convinced that foreign policy decisions matter. Foreign policy decisions can be tragic and heartbreaking and it's important that we get them right when we get them wrong such as we did during the vietnam war our very country can be ripped apart by division and chaos it's also crucial that when we get them wrong as we did in vietnam then the faster we can course correct the faster we can reduce how many lives we lose america is the world's leading power and we mostly lead the world from a position of moral authority showing other countries how they should behave in regards to ethics, restraint, and providing freedom for their citizens. We are a force of good for the world, although I will acknowledge that we are not perfect. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know that our democracy doesn't work without informed voters, and I also know we need to grow closer together and show more patience and kindness. I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us, And while we face great challenges as a country, America has stood together for more than 240 years. It's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. And we need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. So let's get a little better informed, which I'll do my best to help you do, while also keeping it interesting and brief. And let's also work to get a little more united as a people. And with that, let's get started. This is the September 20th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. I wanted to say one quick thing before we get to the news, and there's plenty of news, and that is that in the last episode, I uh, obviously got a little passionate a couple of different times, and... I'm sorry for that. I don't want to be that person. There's too many loud voices and too many screamers out there. And it it occurs to me in my mind that, on the one hand, you have to be passionate enough to care about something in order to actually do all the work involved with creating a podcast twice a week, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But on the other, that's not what I'm striving for. I want to be like a, a voice of unity, an encourager, someone who has great empathy and shows kindness. I also want to be upbeat and I want to show optimism. And obviously I'm trying to bridge what is a very large and great divide in our country. So I want to do a better job of not turning into someone who gets too emotional with the things I say. Although we do talk about very, um, well, I mean like deep topics such as Ukraine and the atrocities committed there and all. I still want to somehow restrain myself as we talk about these emotional things. So that's all I wanted to say. Thanks for letting me say it. Let's get to the news. I thought we'd start today's news with a little bit of a historical perspective. And I wanted to share uh, something that Chuck Ferrer, who's a Navy SEAL and a foreign policy analyst, had shared, which is that on this date, September 17th in 1939, The Soviet Union, as he said, cynically allied with Nazi Germany, staged an unprovoked invasion of Poland. Russia's imperial ambitions have always included the subjugation of European nations. Months later, Russia would massacre 22,000 Polish officers at Caton Woods. And there's a, a New York Times front page that was shared that the headline is, Soviet troops marched into Poland at 11 p.m. Nazis demand Warsaw, which is, of course, the capital of Poland, give up or be shelled. Fierce battle is raging on the Western Front. And so, as we think about what is happening in Ukraine and the Russian invasion there, it's important to remember that in 1939, which is, what, about 80 years ago, uh, something pretty similar happened, and as we think about the atrocities that we have seen that are almost unspeakable, uh, I did fact-check the massacre of 22,000 Polish uh, officers and, and soldiers. That is true. And so back in 1939, the Russians did the same thing. So I don't know if it's something that's part of the Russian character that you could do such things. I I know America hasn't been perfect in our uh, human rights, and in our even treatment of, of POWs. We haven't been perfect, but I would certainly put what we have done up against any country, unless there's one or two I'm not thinking of, but we have certainly uh, had minimal amounts of, of of just horrible things compared to some of those that uh, we could stack ourselves up to. So, I don't know. That I hope that maybe that did something for you but just seeing that i think sometimes we forget our history and I, actually i'm kind of a world war ii history buff but i like to uh i like to just put things from a historical perspective sometime and see where we are now and it's crazy that the more history you know the more things change the more they stay the same so there you go 80 years ago russians marched into poland and committed unbelievable atrocities and of course this would end up what they thought was a smart move to pick on a smaller country would end up flipping on them when Hitler and Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union and almost drove all the way to Moscow. So they paid for their crimes multiple times over, and the amount of casualties the Soviet Union suffered in World War II is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And of course, they had to move much of their industry west to, or I'm sorry, east to Siberia. So they certainly paid for what happened to them then. And I think as we continue to play out the situation in Ukraine and the sanctions that are happening and what will follow, I think they're going to pay this time as well. I did want to say that I have that photo of the New York Times front page in the source notes, and it's kind of cool to look at. It's three decks as far as the headline three solid lines in the news business those are called decks so it's th- it's a three deck headline now normally most headlines are one deck sometimes they're two if they're on the front page above the fold this is three lines above the fold and i know sometimes even myself i beat up the media a little bit for getting things wrong but you know you have to think that if it's 1939 and there's a three deck headline in the new york times about both Germany and the Soviet Union invading a country, you have to think that this is going to impact me at some point. Now, I know there are a lot of people who still wanted to stay out of, you know, getting involved in Europe again after it happened in World War I, but this is a good example of why I think foreign policy matters and how things that start out over there, so to speak, even though there is a lot smaller in today's connected world, but even back then... When people were still driving, you know, basically Model Ts, but even back then What happened over there mattered here and obviously would eventually lead to When the Japanese expansion ended up leading to the attack on Pearl Harbor, so If you want to see that photo though You can see that in the source notes on the substack website. I have stanormitchell.substack.com, And I really wanted to bring up at that same um, place in my source notes The next thing I wanted to bring up was the uh, Institute for the Study of War produced an amazing, and I mean amazing, uh, map that shows the first 200 days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine as mapped out every single day, and so you can watch this map, which it's about a minute, hit play, it's like a moving gif, or I'm not sure the media terms I'm not the super smartest guy and all that stuff. Basically, you hit play, and it shows the Russian invasion, and as they drive down to Kiev, and then how the Ukrainians stopped them, and they push them back, and then it shows the Russians advancing in the east in Donbass, and how the Ukrainians stopped them there, and then it shows the amazing counteroffensive. And so it's a minute and 13 seconds of just a great summary of what has happened in this war as Russia went all in with what it could, Exhausted itself and is now on its back foot getting pushed backward. So if you want to see that Definitely worth going to my website to check that out. And it's incredible again What the Institute for the study of war has done. They've actually been just to give a shout out to them Creating almost daily maps. I think it has been daily actually since the beginning of the war So they've done a great job just mapping out the conflict and where Russia advances have been or Ukrainian advances and the fighting And a lot of analysts have been leaning on them. So pretty incredible stuff. If you want to see that map, like I said, just go to my Substack, And you can find that in the bottom of the episode notes if you're listening on Apple or one of the other podcast channels. Moving along, the next item I wanted to discuss was we had talked in the previous podcast about how the president of China, uh, Xi Jinping, had not been too happy with russia's invasion of ukraine in their most public meeting her most recent public meeting and had criticized it and it turns out uh, putin has he kind of got the cold shoulder with another country shortly thereafter the indian prime minister narendra modi expressed his concerns as well in a public meeting and he criticized the russian president and said his quote was i know that today's error is not an error of war, and I have spoken to you on the phone about this. And I've got a CNBC story linked in the, in the source notes, but Modi told Putin at a televised meeting, and <laughs> the article says, as Modi made the remark, Russia's leader since 1999 pursed his lips, glanced at Modi, and then looked down before touching the hair on the back of his head. So I think you could summarize that to mean that uh, he was pretty uncomfortable. And then Putin told Modi... That he understood the Indian leader had concerns about Ukraine, but that Moscow was doing everything it could to end the conflict, and he's quoted as saying, I know your position on the conflict in Ukraine, the concerns that you constantly express, Putin said. We will do everything to stop this as soon as possible. And then the story goes a bit into what we've talked about numerous times here on this podcast, that... Even if Russia wanted to end it at this point, uh, Ukraine has said that they're not going to stop until they reclaim every inch of Ukrainian land. So it's going to be... This isn't going to be over anytime soon, but it's clear that more and more of the international community is speaking out against Russia. And in fact, that story does say that India has become Russia's number two oil buyer after China. So India's buying a lot of oil from them, and... um, I don't know how much power or pressure India has, but I'm confident that, yet again, uh, Putin went into that meeting hoping for a little bit better outcome, and he didn't get what he wanted. So the pressure from the international community continues to build against this illegal and wrong uh, invasion. Keeping the topic on Russia and the invasion of Ukraine, I wanted to share something that's pretty amazing this comes from a guy who goes by Doc on Twitter and I've got his link up there but he's a global war on terror veteran from the US. Always posting great stuff about geopolitics and national security and he shared video from out of Ukraine involving some of their soldiers who are fighting down in the southern part Kherson which we've talked about a fair amount. And it's really a great clip to watch, not graphic anything like that, definitely dangerous, but um some s- Uh, Ukrainian, I don't want to say Special Forces, but they almost look like Special Forces, but they're very uh, well-kitted-out gentlemen fighting in this particular scene. And I'll share what uh, Doc said. And he said, Quite remarkable footage out of Ukraine here. Note the nearly all-Western kit, from uniform to helmet to battle rifle to anti-tank. This is American and NATO kit being put to great use. And then he says, Impressive soldiering. Which of course he has the ability to say that having served himself. So the video's there and then he stops part of that video. It's a short video. I think it was about 45 seconds. Then he stops the video, takes a screenshot, because in the video uh, these uh, troops are under fire and several of them they're in the kneeling and prone position as anyone would wisely be in the middle of a dangerous firefight But um, at one point, they're trying to, I think at this point, pull back. And two of them step up out into the street, into the line of fire, and they take the standing position to fire as they're covering um, some of their other fellow brothers. And so he puts literally stepping into danger, as trained, as expected. And then he says, we were on the fence about letting these absolute badasses into NATO. Shame on us. So I just want to share that. It is it is impressive soldiering. If you pause the video, you'll see that they even have the, uh, in the infantry you can wear on top of your helmet, kind of camouflage netting, which helps break up your silhouette, makes it look less like a human head, but also the uh, the netting kind of blows in the wind, and it looks like vegetation, but, I mean, these soldiers are very well... I mean, they're well supplied, and they they even have uh, a couple of them have knee pads, which if you've ever been in the infantry and you take the kneeling position hundreds of times per day on rocks and everything else, it's uh, not fun to do without knee pads. But uh, again, impressive video, but thanks to Doc for sharing that. If you're on Twitter, he's a great person to follow. I've got him linked in the source notes. I think he's right. I'd like to see as we eventually get... This thing wound down, which of course will probably take much longer than I want to think about, but I would love to see Ukraine at some point be a part of NATO. They have definitely earned it, but I know that's something that is years away probably. But again, thanks to the doc for sharing that, and we'll get to the next topic. I have two more topics I want to cover on Russia, and the first one here is a little bit of a darker one, but I'm going to try to keep it or keep any emotion out of my voice. But there was a great NBC News footage. They interviewed multiple people who've been through what is called the filtration process with the Russians. And what happens is, so when Russia takes cities or lands, as they did in the beginning of the war, they try to find folks who are threatened or who are possible threats to them. And so the filtration that Russia does is something that's it's basically interrogation and processing and they're just trying to find people who pose a threat, and some of them are beaten and tortured, including being denied food and water. And one of the folks interviewed in this was a 16-year-old young man. Uh, You look at him, and he certainly does not look like a threat, Um, but he's just honestly a baby-faced 16-year-old boy that um, definitely does not look like a threat. His car was stopped, his phone was searched, and they found pro-Ukrainian social media in it. So they threaten to kill him there, which I have never at the age of 16 had someone aim a gun at me and threaten to kill me there. So he's already had to experience that, but then he gets sent to one of these filtration sites. There's been 21 of these sites that have been likely discovered through lots of intelligence. But he gets sent to one for 48 days. He sees horrific things. He's obviously not treated very well. He has a cellmate who was a 24-year-old church worker the cellmate emerged from 2 days of torture and slit his wrist the young man who's interviewed the 16-year-old he talks about that the Russians not only beat people there they put needles under people's fingernails they obviously kill some of them but we all know the stories we they the number is put at 1.6 million have gone through filtration this young man after 48 days Was released. Of course, at this point, he's in Russia, and so he works his way back to Ukraine, as many of them do. So, many of these Ukrainians, after seeing how well Russians treat Ukrainians, not that many of them didn't already know, but they then end up obviously trying to work their way back to Ukraine and to freedom. And I can't imagine how perilous it must be to recross the border into Ukraine and to try to work your way through Russian-occupied territory, and then try to work your way through checkpoints or fighting to get to freedom. It, its I'm sure there are millions of stories. Of course, there are many, many, many Ukrainians, well over a million who have been uh, sent into Russia as well and moved further east who didn't even get lucky enough to Have made it back to Ukraine, who may never make it back. There's even some young kids that have been taken that will probably never know their parents. Um, So it's a horrible thing that these have gone through. But there's a great video, like I said, from NBC, who's interviewed some of them. It's about a five-minute video if you want to watch it. I've got it in the source notes. It's not too, too dark, um, but it does highlight what is happening and what has happened to many Ukrainians. I wanted to wrap up the part about Russia with one final topic. And you may remember, I think it was my last podcast, although I'll be honest, sometimes they kind of run together in my mind. But I had mentioned a possible successor to Putin and how we have to be careful what we hope for because the person could end up being worse than even he, worse being like more brutal. And I finally, out of luck, found... I said during that podcast I couldn't remember the guy's name, but it was an article I'd read and that his name didn't matter. Well, I thankfully came across through some notes I had who the gentleman was. His name is uh, Nikolai Petrushev, and so I wanted to share just a little bit from a Washington Post story that was published back in July 15th. I'm going to share three paragraphs from that story and then explain just a little bit about him based on some of the research I've done. So from the story, from the Washington Post story, July 15th. When Russian President Vladimir Putin held the final meeting of his Security Council before launching the invasion of Ukraine, one Kremlin hawk seemed to dominate the room. Nikolai Petrushev, the powerful Security Council Secretary and close Putin ally from their days together at the KGB in St. Petersburg, told the Russian President that the United States was behind tensions in eastern Ukraine and seeking to orchestrate Russia's collapse. Our task, Petrushev, said in broadcast remarks, Our task is to defend the territorial integrity of our country and defend its sovereignty. Petrushev, whose position is equivalent to the U.S. National Security Advisor, was expressing a Cold War view that has driven Putin's war. So, who is this guy, Petrushev? The interesting thing about Petrushev is he... Actually, was in the KGB with Putin, but he outranked him by quite a bit. He's about he's one year older, and when Putin was a lieutenant colonel in the KGB, uh, Patrushev was already a general colonel. So he actually moved to Moscow before Putin. And the only reason that Putin leapfrogged this guy is because he was much closer to Boris Yeltsin. So there's been a little bit of a power play between the two, and Patrushev still believes he should you know, kind of technically be the leader, but he supports Putin. He's never, at least to this point, done anything that, that is known to try to stab him in the back or anything, and Putin has kept him close. So he's the pretty much the number one war hawk for Russia, and as questions about Putin's health have kind of been speculated about, This guy, Petrushev has been traveling a lot. He's definitely more of like a man of force, so to speak. Um, And some of the things he said are just just unbelievable. He basically thinks that America wants to create like puppet colonial countries. He doesn't want Western uh, companies involved in any energy production, for which often Russia needs help with. He's just... um, He's really something else, so I've got a link to that article, but if you don't have a Washington Post subscription, you can definitely Google this guy, find out a lot about him. Again, I'm glad I came across that, but we need to all be careful about what we wish for, because there's no guarantee that whoever replaces Putin won't be as much or more of a strong man who does unbelievably dangerous and terrible things. So we've talked a lot about Russia and Ukraine. Let's move to China and Taiwan the whole china situation made the news again because the president in an interview with 60 minutes president joe biden said that u.s troops would defend taiwan in the event of a chinese invasion now again this is now the fourth time he has said that even though our policy is ambiguous and immediately afterward as has happened in the past the staff says that strategic ambiguity toward Taiwan hasn't changed. So again, we've got this president says one thing, staff says another. We've talked about this a bit in the past that, and I still believe that President Joe Biden is not making a mistake when he says this. I think he actually believes this, but they also know that if we were to officially and formally change our policy, then it forces China into a position to perhaps make a decision or to perhaps escalate the situation. Because if we ever as a country say we will definitely defend Taiwan, then China has to make some really tough decisions, either to give up some of its claims or to force the situation. And so as I've said before, and I'll try to reiterate it as briefly as possible, I think that the staff is communicating to China, hey, you know, the president, the old man, he's he says that, but, you know, don't, don't sweat it. Nothing's changing. And I think he actually means it. And this is, again, just kind of providing China a way out. But I just don't believe that he would have made this gaffe four times. And I do think there are other staff telling China, listen, be careful what you do. The president looked weak when the U.S., Exited Afghanistan, and if you were to do something really silly, the president is possibly going to not only react strongly, but maybe even overreact because he's looking for a place to appear very strong. So we keep telling him not to say these things. He keeps saying them. Whatever you do, China, don't do this because you will feel the wrath of a president who has looked weak on the foreign stage, at least in regards to Afghanistan. He's certainly shown leadership uniting Europe and arming Ukraine. So that's what I think is going on. And I've got the interview with 60 Minutes. You can watch it. There's a 50-second clip in the source notes if you want to hear that. He definitely doesn't misspeak. He definitely says it firmly. And that's led to lots of people. Again, every time something like this happens, whether it's a Pelosi visit to Taiwan or a statement by the president or something, all the analysts immediately start talking again. And discussing what are the possibilities of an invasion. And some of the analysts were trying to say, you know, maybe President President Xi uh, does an invasion sooner rather than later. Rather than waiting five years, maybe he just goes for it. He could pull it off. And I wanted to share something from Patrick Fox, who's a military analyst. And he talks a bit about how he doesn't see there there's any way that an invasion happens by february or march and he says for two primary reasons and i wanted to share those uh one he said it would be an all-or-nothing gamble for xi and if he attempts it and fails he would likely be tossed from his leadership position and he says currently they're already successfully doing operations that are hurting taiwan on the world stage through propaganda and influence And then the second thing he says is that an amphibious operation would require a military with virtually no operational experience to execute one of the most complex operations ever devised in combined arms warfare using tech that is several generations beyond the last time anyone attempted something similar. And I wanted to dig down into that just for a second. For those who don't know much about amphibious warfare, and it goes back to well, I guess it depends on how far. You could, in theory, say it goes back a couple hundred years or more. But as far as defended beaches, amphibious-type warfare, that mostly goes back to World War II, where it was perfected under much bloodshed, especially by the Marine Corps in the Pacific when we had to retake islands. And even the United States was not very good at this. With Even the, the history that we had with our Navy... Uh, we had to develop special boats that allowed this to happen. They have to be loaded a certain way. There's just a lot to get rot, rot, and I mean a lot, a lot. So it took two or three good years in the Pacific with very bloody, very ugly lessons learned. And then eventually it was as perfected as it could be in what ended up being D-Day, which was, of course, in Normandy, and on the other side of the world against Germany. And so the United States spent literally years perfecting this under fire, losing thousands of troops and making horrendous mistakes that cost us greatly. And so that's what Patrick Fox is getting across is that maybe I'm not thinking of one, but I don't know that China's ever executed an amphibious assault, you know, of any scale recently. And so China has been building up its Navy, but this is asking a lot of them. And so in the short term, he's saying he doesn't think it's possible. I think I agree with him for sure. And in the long term, it's still going to be very, very difficult. But I only brought all this up because, like I said, every time it comes up, it's good to talk about. As far as a large top threat to America, some type of uh, conflict with China is probably... As top three or four of the things that could be very bad that we might have to deal with. So, you do have to address these things every time they come up. And you do definitely have to address something when the president again states something that is not American policy. That's all we're gonna talk about as far as China for this episode. I want to go to some really cool tech news and then we'll get into the motivation and wisdom part. But before we do that, we need to do one quick thing. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please consider subscribing. At a minimum, subscribe to the podcast through whatever channel you're listening to us on. Or if you can, please go to my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com, and subscribe there for email alerts. That would absolutely make my day. All of my podcasts are free, but if you really want to be a rock star and support what we're doing, you can sign up at my substack for $5 a month. Not only will that help encourage and sustain what we're doing here, as well as hopefully make it better, but it will also get you the Tuesday post on Tuesday. The Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they're delayed by one day, unless you're a paid subscriber. That way, it will encourage folks to hopefully help support what we're doing here if they can, but it also doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month payment. At most, you're waiting just one extra day for the content. But again, if you can, please go to my Substack website and just sign up for email alerts that would absolutely make my day and while we're on this topic i'm not good at asking for help sometimes but if you could drop a review on the podcast you listen to that would be awesome i think we got like six or so on apple and i'm not sure about the others but i have read that if i can get that to like 30 or 40 then the algorithms take over and everyone will learn how freaking amazing i am okay that that was that was lame I don't know how to say it, but the reality is, is I believe in this mission and we need to reach more people. And if we can trick these algorithms into thinking that this show is amazing, then we will actually reach more people. And I actually do believe in all honesty that that would be good for this country. So if you got two seconds and can throw, at least click the five star thing. But if you can write a short review, it'd be even better. Um, So thanks again, guys. As my longtime listeners know, I love to throw in some tech news when I come across some and how that might impact our world and how it might impact warfare. And I've got a video from CNN that's in the source notes about a company that's working on drones and how they are taking inspiration from nature to make the drones far more efficient and better. And there were three different things that are discussed in this video anyway. And the first one is... Creating a drone that's based on a dragonfly, which has four wings, and how the dragonfly can glide and it can hover and accelerate in different directions, flies better in wind. So they're they have this really small drone that is, you know, maybe a little bit bigger than the size of your hand, but it has four wings and it's the its ability to fly is pretty amazing. There's another one where they're based For uh, underwater drones and robots that they're basing like on a manta's wings, how that's way more efficient and can um, get something much further than like a propeller based underwater drone or robot. And then finally they have like a paraglider which is based on a large wing unmanned and they're saying that this paraglider and it shows it dropping things which in the video is just like boxes with a parachute. I'm sure a military capacity that might be certain types of munitions But so the paraglider with a large wing is unmanned is way more fuel-efficient than simply a rotor based drone obviously, so the company that was it's a British robotics company and they're looking for ways to make These items more efficient to make the world a better place. So maybe they won't end up selling to you know military use top applications but anyone who watches it could easily take some of these ideas and apply them to a military situation. So mostly we talk about foreign policy here, and I look at things, how they could be used in a military application. So I'm not saying that company would do that, but I'm saying that based on the inspiration the company's providing, it could be easily, easily replicated um, to be used elsewhere. Again, that's a pretty cool video though. Definitely worth watching. It's incredible how far technology has come and you can find that in the source notes. And with all of that out of the way, let's get to the best part of any episode, which is the motivation and wisdom part. As I say, every uh, episode, I'm not going to name all the places these come from. You can find them in the source notes, but definitely go there, find them if you want. And with that, I also like to say, I like to start with something that's kind of an inspiring story, and this week's, or this episode's, is about a gentleman named Jalen Watson, who had played college football through high school college, gets drafted very late in the NFL, and I don't know his full journey because you really can't find much on about the guy, but apparently didn't do too, too great, uh, struggled to get noticed, and ends up working at a Wendy's. but presumably while working at a Wendy's, this gentleman, Jalen Watson, did not give up on his dream and kept training, etc., etc., kept believing. And long story short, Jalen Watson, who was working at a Wendy's, gets another shot and just recently had an amazing game, intercepted a ball, you know, got to play, and he's in the NFL again. And I only share all of that. It's just an incredible story of how, you just can never give up on your dreams. No matter what your dreams are, even if you haven't started it yet, please don't give up on them. Dreams do come true. And it's it's hard in this world. I'm not going to say it's not hard, but I am going to say, stay after your dreams. They do sometimes come true. So that's the motivational story for the week. Let's just move into some motivation and wisdom. And the first one's kind of a wisdom thing. It's from a gentleman named Noah Smith. I will name him. He's a great person to follow on Twitter. But... Um, He put, normalize randomly calling up your friends on the phone just to say hi. And it's funny, a lot of people were saying, no, that's a terrible idea, don't blah, 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 text before you call. But it reminded me, isn't it funny that these days, almost no one calls anyone just to say hi. It's kind of sad, isn't it? So, there's your challenge, if you're not going to do anything for your dream between now and the next episode. Why don't you just call someone up just to say hi. It's probably going to blow them away. And they're probably going to think something's going on. But, like he said, let's normalize it. Okay, moving along. Why worry? If you've done the very best you can, worrying won't make it any better. That was actually said by Walt Disney. It's a pretty good one. Next one. Don't give up on the person you are becoming. Another good one. Next one. Have big dreams, big hopes for the future. Dream as big as you can, and then some more. I like that. Next one, no failure is permanent. As long as you are alive, you can do it. Never give up. Another good one. Next one, life gets easier when you stop trying to find yourself and start creating yourself. I thought that was amazing the first time I read it, and it was amazing the second time I read it. So life gets easier when you stop trying to find yourself and start creating yourself. I think that's really good, especially if you're like me and you dig into the past way too much. Nah, just let all that go. Just start being a better person and start working toward your dreams. So, next. Smile. The universe has heard you. It's coming to get you. I like that one. It reminds me of, uh, I won't say who said it, but a show that I was listening to where someone had recorded a football game. And they knew the score, but they wanted to watch it anyway, which is odd because I'm one of those guys, if I know who wins, I can't watch it. I bet you're more like me than this person, but... They were talking about how if you just knew how something ended, you don't get stressed out, and how they watch this game and it's a terrible game, and you know, the other team's doing this and that. And it's normally this person would have been super stressed, but in the end, his team won because he knew how it ended. So, I like that was immediately the story I thought of when I heard this story or this quote, which is smile, the universe has heard you, it's coming to get you. Which I think for me means. Hundreds of new listeners coming soon. I hope so. All right, next one. Prioritize your future over checking your phone every 30 seconds. That one hits home for all of us, doesn't it? Prioritize your future over checking your phone every 30 seconds. All right, next one. If I fall, I will rise up with wisdom and strength. That's a good one. I think there's a similar one to that. We said a week or two ago, Like if you get knocked down, it's not a failure as long as you learn something from it. All right, here we go, next one. The expert in anything was once a beginner. I think we all need to let that one sink in. The expert in anything was once a beginner. Next one. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. I love that one. And there's a million reiterations of that one, but start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know just a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry, even though the recruiter lied and said that they didn't have any infantry slots available. He was trying to get me into intelligence because I managed to somehow score high on the ASVAB test. Maybe he would have gotten a bonus if he'd been successful. But I was a persistent little SOB, and I started talking to the Army and even did a weekend training drill with their recruiters. They told me I could get infantry with them with a chance to become a Ranger. I was about to sign when, lo and behold, my Marine recruiter somehow found a guaranteed infantry slot. It's been said that I don't usually stop when I make my mind up to make something happen, and I suppose that's true to this day. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism, and spent ten plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here, as well a a twice-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. It sounds cheesy, but every new subscriber I get, and I promise you, I get an email for each one, they really do help make my day. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. The View from the Front is a reader-supported publication. I still work a day job, although it is my dream to eventually do this uh, full-time with the author gig. But the best way to make this work sustainable and help improve it is with a paid subscription. But at the same time, free ones are appreciated too. Make sure to visit our website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, and that'll make sure you don't ever miss one. And plus, it'll make my day when I get that email. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. Try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. Also, if you have a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, reach out to them. Finally, and this especially goes to all my awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, reach out to someone, please. Call that friend or family member. Do it for us all. We've already lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide, so I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath, breathe, and call a friend or family member or someone who can help. I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email, etc. I can't tell you how much those mean to me, and I love each and every one of you all. So please, join me again in our next episode. Stay safe until then. Thanks again. You guys are the best. As always, don't forget to check out my books. You can find all 11 of them on Amazon. I've written a CIA Marine Sniper series about a guy named Nick Woods. It's about a Marine Scout sniper who does... Uh, let's just say, some secret missions for the uh, CIA, and he eventually gets sold out, has his life wrecked, and uh, he has to, he doesn't have to, I guess, but he decides to hunt down some folks who uh, may have sold him out and do something about it. Pretty awesome. That series has done the best of all of them. I've written four books in that series, and actually I'm almost done with the fifth book. And as I know from several persistent readers who... Make my day by sending emails and saying, hey, you got that fifth book done yet? I'm trying my best to wrap it up, but I'm also wanting to make sure it's really good because it's been a few years since I released a book in that series. And I'll be honest, it, it involves partly Ukraine. And so uh, when the the third invasion by Russia happened in Ukraine, they kind of messed up how I saw the book going because I didn't expect an invasion when I started that book a couple of years ago. So... At any rate, that book will be done soon. That'll be the fifth book. But I've also written a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine, and I've written two books on that one. That one's starting to take off. I've written a private investigator book about a former Army Ranger. I've written an action-packed Western. I've even written a motivational-slash-biography book about President Obama. And I've even written a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier Own. And one is about Afghanistan, which is called Hill 406. And I've had quite a few veterans tell me that it is one of the realest war books they've ever read. So, if you'd like to support me or check out those books, please do. Like I said, you can find all of them on Amazon. And with that, I'm out.